0: Hello everyone and welcome back to PFR Weekly. We are in episode two of our three-part Ryan Kugler arc. I'm Devin and I'm here with my co-hosts Nathan and Jane and we are going to talk about Creed, Ryan Kugler's second directorial feature, a part of the Rocky franchise and an all-around incredible movie that I'm excited to talk about not only because I'm in love with Tessa Thompson in this movie, but because it's one of my top five movies as I've decided on rewatching, even though when I tried to communicate that in our group Slack, I was full of typos that Jane called me on and uh, as was necessary because I need to express my love, but I need to do it correctly. And uh, here we are talking about Creed. So Jane, I know you were also very excited about this because we spent a lot of time talking about how much we love Creed. So are you as jazzed about this as I am?
1: I'm so excited. I had a similar experience to you where I went back and rewatched it and found a renewed love for it. Like I forgot how much I loved it. And then every time I go back and watch it, I feel like I love it more and I discover new things and I notice new scenes and I know it's great, but then I go back and rewatch it and I'm just like, wow.
0: And this was your first time, right, Nathan? And your first Rocky movie of any sort?
2: No. So I'd seen, I'd seen Rocky before, but it was like five or six years ago. So I kind of, I only remembered the part where he's punching the dead animals in the butcher <laughs> shop and running up the hill to the art museum in Philly. So yeah, so I went back and, and rewatched Rocky uh, a few days ago and then, and then watched Creed for the first time.
0: Well, Nathan, both for you who has not gone through the full cycle of Rocky movies, because there are many, and with a father from Philadelphia, they've been my lifeblood for a long time. Just to situate the Creed movie in this, the original Rocky movie comes out in 1976, it's Sylvester Stallone, and it spawns this franchise, and there are a bunch of Rocky movies, and what happens in those is that Rocky is fighting Apollo Creed, who is supposed to be the great kind of champion, obviously, modeled in some ways on Ali and other black boxers from the era, but not specifically one person. They're rivals, but then they become friends in Rocky II and Rocky III. And then kind of the movie from the Rocky franchise that matters for Creed in Rocky IV, Apollo Creed is boxing Russian fighter Ivan Drago, and Drago kills Creed in the ring. Rocky gets up and ends up fighting him in that movie to kind of quote unquote, avenge Apollo. But then we jump ahead now to Creed, the movie. And what happens is we're focused on Apollo's illegitimate son, Adonis Donnie Creed, who is trying to make a name for himself as a boxer and seeks out Rocky as a trainer so that he can kind of bring him into the boxing world. So it's in this interesting place where it's kind of a reboot. Even so, this is a continuation of the mythology that we start F with in 1976 and also brings in a bunch of new ideas, which we'll be talking about. But just to situate it for people, that's where we are. This is Creed. And once again, a Coogler movie starring Michael B. Jordan, because Michael B. Jordan is the eponymous Creed. It also marks a sort of step up for Coogler in his directorial career. If you think about Fruitvale Station being this really incredible movie, but an indie that wasn't exactly a major release. And then he steps in in his second movie to direct this Addition to a long running beloved franchise, you know, a franchise of movies that have made countless hundreds of millions of dollars over the decades. And he's stepping into this legacy and he is bringing his style, he's bringing his ideas and his stamp to something that for a long time has kind of been seen as Sylvester Stallone's baby. And obviously, Stallone is still in this movie as Rocky, but it is sort of a passing the torch to a new generation of filmmaker, a new generation of character. And so the feeling and the makeup of a movie about Creed as opposed to Balboa just changes it. And I think something we'll obviously keep in mind is the legacy and the new and how Kugler as this fresh voice, I think brings a lot of juice to make the best Rocky adjacent movie since the original and possibly hot take a movie better than the original in many different ways. Based on our conversations we've had about movies in this series, watching Creed in the current climate and really thinking about how Donnie is situated, the juvenile detention center really hit differently. It just, I feel like it gives us a really specific understanding of the life that Donnie has lived up to this point and where it places him in terms of what might've happened if he wasn't the creed
2: for me the the opening of the film is is really important in kind of establishing this legacy and for somebody who doesn't necessarily know the entire Rocky franchise as well as you do, Devin, coming into creed with kind of this this new name present really felt like an important choice to me, and then that kind of opening where where he asks what what was his name um, and we get the the big title sequence. I thought that, that was such an important point and it, and it comes back later in the film as well when Donnie kind of like has to take on Creed's name. So I was, and I, I was thinking also how kind of there's this, this interesting parallel with, uh, with the first Rocky in that Rocky Balboa only gets this big fight against Apollo Creed because of his name. He gets the fight because of the name, the Italian stallion and kind of cementing it in that kind of American tradition. And so I was thinking a lot in this one about how we kind of have this almost new American tradition coming out of the the kind of Creed legacy. Um, so I think that, that that beginning is just a really kind of impactful moment for anyone, whether they've seen Rocky, all of the Rockies, just Creed, or are coming into this kind of uh, with no no boxing experience at all.
1: I think it's really interesting to look at how donnie's legacy works throughout the movie because you see right off the bat we're talking about the beginning of the movie he's already fighting he never even met his dad but it just seems to be in his blood that he just fights all the time and the thing that i love about this movie one of the many things is that you can see him sort of fighting with and grappling with this legacy and where he wants to be in it throughout the movie and even though apollo's widow marianne takes him in and tries to get him out of juvie and give him a good life we see that later in the film as soon as rocky gets sick creed goes right back to fighting ends up back in jail again for the night and it's just sort of this deeply ingrained issue that he has with father figures and with fighting and throughout the movie he sort of is grappling with where he wants to be in relation to his dad so one of the trainers is telling creed about how you know his dad died in the ring and this is really serious and And he just seems to want to kind of distance himself from that. But then obviously he moves to Philly and seeks out Rocky and starts training. And so it's this weird sort of relationship where he wants to be close and wants to have what his dad had. Like Bianca says at one point, it seems like you're trying to tap into whatever he left behind. So it seems like he has this sort of ingrained spirit in him that he's sort of struggling to accept. And we really get to see that throughout the whole movie.
0: I would agree entirely. and bringing Nathan's point earlier about just how important the name is in an opening sequence, and Jane, as you were saying in the chat, something I was thinking about is how just his name, Adonis, also in relation to his father's name, Apollo, right? Apollo is this huge, masterful Greek god who is kind of in the pantheon of the most renowned in terms of Greek mythology, right? He's just below Zeus. He's just below Hera, and... Adonis is this much smaller figure in the Greek mythology. Um, And what I think is interesting in that connects that kind of overall legacy that we're talking about and the specificity of what the name means here. Adonis' story is he's born out of a very complicated courtship and then he's sent to the underworld to be raised. And I think that that idea of if we think of Adonis in this movie and Adonis as the Greek mythological character, right? The God Adonis has to come out of the underworld to reach his pinnacle and Donnie himself has to come out of this very difficult situation in his youth to then rise into this moment, right? And this, I think of it as this kind of dual underworld and rise moments, if we're making that parallel where he's in juvie and That's an interesting, I think, connection there between if we're thinking of Fruitvale Station and where Coogler started, this very real life, this is a reality for young black men who the whole school to prison pipeline, we're seeing that working here in this beginning and it only happens that Donnie escapes it because Marianne comes and says, you're gonna be with me. And then Donnie is in this incredibly, you know, wealthy situation with her, but then he chooses, that he wants to find his own way. And so he kind of goes back into this underworld of, he's not in as much of a plush situation and he's really struggling with his own demons to so then rise up towards the end. And it has this structure that it's introduced right there and you get it with the name. And I think that those ideas you're both talking about of legacy, Kugler sees it immediately and situates us in so much about this. And I think the first 10 minutes of the movie, you know everything we're going to be dealing with but it doesn't feel heavy handed or expositional because you're just given it so beautifully.
1: I want to jump off something you just said, Devin, about the fact that Donnie chooses to go into boxing, which I think is really interesting because I think oftentimes boxing is seen as kind of a blue collar sport and it's people who are scrappy and you know, like the, the guy in the gym is saying like these kids have to fight, it's how they survive. These boys come in here, this is how they survive. They got to fight for life. Killer be killed, people dying there. Your daddy died in the ring. This ain't no joke. I don't know him. Ain't got nothing to do with me. And Donnie's in this very white collar, looks super fancy. I don't know exactly what he does. He just got a promotion. He's living in this mansion, doing very well for himself, clearly white collar guy. And then chooses to go, I don't want to say back down, but into this sport that I think Rocky says at one point, no one rich ever chooses boxing, which Donnie does. And so I think that really gets at an interesting parallel again between Rocky. He was obviously a very blue collar character. He's using sides of frozen beef as a punching bag. Um, but also again, touches on that sense of that legacy that he feels driven to do this. Like he has to do this and because his dad did it, it sends him back to boxing.
2: Well, and I think historically too, it's really interesting because boxing um, maybe like football or basketball. Now was one of the only ways for black um, Black American men to make money in the U.S. Basically, like it was it was the one kind of way to jump class strata um, and and really kind of make it before you know hip hop or uh, filmmaking was a was a thing. So
0: yeah, and that idea of where boxing fits in terms of the American history of black Americans. It's interesting to think about Rocky as this, the underdog blue collar white guy takes on the established, incredibly strong black man. And there's been a lot written over the years about how the Rocky franchise's racial politics can get a little dicey in trying to think about, you know, we think about 1979, we're coming off of an era where there was a lot of Vietnam era anxiety about what white masculinity looked like in the U.S. And whereas I think Rocky, the original, looks at that with a lot of nuance, much like Stallone's other franchise, Rambo, after the first one, everything just kind of goes down into some more problematic and reactionary ways. But Creed, I think, is this fascinating redirection of so much of that. obviously we're talking about this as Kugler's movie, but Stallone is still the producer. He's still helping to write it. He's still the instrumental force. I think it's interesting to think about Stallone, the guy who started it all saying, okay, we need to do something different. It's time to focus on Creed because Rocky's story has been told and that's not the story we need. And how that grapples with this idea of Adonis is not the same character. He's a different character. And I think in all of this, the moment I think of most strongly is after Donnie gets beat up at the gym that he goes to when he first wants to uh, get into it. And he puts his Mustang on the line and then he's sitting on the stairwell in the mansion where he and Marianne live. And Marianne walks in and he's sitting there with his sunglasses on and he's just beaten up and she's so angry because she's so scared, right? She had her husband die in the ring and she doesn't want to watch her adoptive son go down the same fate and just this imagery of him sitting near the bottom of the stairs it's like he can't climb into Apollo's legacy he needs to build his own that's the central struggle of this movie in so many ways that we've already talked about but just this imagery of the stairway I think is so loaded especially when we're thinking about black written pop culture because, and I don't know if this might be stretching, but it's what I've always thought about watching this is um, Langston Hughes has a poem where the line is life ain't no crystal stair. And he talks about how hard it is relating the black experience in the US to climbing up a rotted and nail ridden stairway that's just trying to stop you. And to have this young black man who's trying to build his legacy sitting on this very Baroque staircase, but that he still can't climb because he needs to find his own way. I think, and we've talked about how brilliant Kugler is, but there are many other moments where I think in this movie, he's referencing Raging Bull. He's referencing a history of American pop culture and whether or not this is intentionally a Hughes reference, I think it shows an understanding of imagery that just, I mean, again, we're like 15 minutes into the movie when that happens. And there's already all of this that's set up. He's unpacking legacy and context.
2: Again, circling back, and I, I don't want to talk about this too much, but I think that both, like you were saying, both Rocky and Creed kind of challenge the American myth in a way. And Rocky, watching Rocky again, I was I was struck by this kind of ultra Americanness of certain moments. So you get the Rocky story of rags to riches. He's rising up and Apollo Creed again. The reason he chooses to fight Rocky is because he says, what's more American than, you know, Philadelphia, then fighting on the, on the Bicentennial, then taking somebody who's, who's got this Italian ancestry and putting them, in a in a kind of new position where they can you know raise themselves up uh, you know pull yourself up by the bootstraps kind of myth making there. You also get like Apollo Creed fights in in a George Washington costume when he's walking out, and then and then in the the American flag uh, shorts, and all of this is just kind of like reinforcing this like ultra American myth. In in a way, it's kind of ludicrous looking back on it now, and and just thinking like this is. I don't know. It it just seems so overdone, but I think Creed kind of does that as well. You, I mean, you get this, you get the fight between the, the American and the, and the British fighters and, 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 you know, you get all of these other kind of elements in there and reevaluating, reinterpreting what that means in, in the 21st century and specifically for somebody who isn't a blue collar, white worker in, one of, you know, America's oldest cities, it's kind of, you know, taking us this and saying, what else is American? What else can we look at? Who else can we put into this role and see what they, what they do?
0: Coogler seems to fully understand what Rocky means to American pop culture. I mean, this is a movie that won best picture and was just hugely celebrated at its time. It has been beloved forever. It's what made Stallone who he is. And to then jump in as a new filmmaker and say, okay, we're gonna dig into this myth and think about what the American dream means and think about what Americanness means in this new setting. And then just, again, right, honor this legacy, but blow up so much of what we would expect from a boxing movie, from a Rocky movie, from a movie about the American dream and arc. And I mean, the fact that we're getting to that I think shows how successfully Kugler does it Has this kind of steward of the idea. Um, And I mean, obviously that's owed to a number of factors, but the same way that he seems to have balanced performance and writing in Fruitvale Station, we're seeing that same thing play out just on a much larger scale. Cause I mean, this is a budget that's like 10 times what he got for Fruitvale Station. And he still, he seems very in control.
2: I was thinking a lot while watching Creed about kind of the, the Rocky legend and how it functions within the film itself. Because in, in many ways, Rocky is no longer a fictional story. It's kind of become part of the American myth. And, and mm-hmm. so like there's the, the, the moment in the beginning of the film when, when Donnie first moves to Philly and he goes and he finds the Rocky statue, you know, it's not like the the entire world is fictionalized in this sense. And, you know, there, there are all these kind of other moments of like, is this, is this real? Is this not, you know, it, how, how much is Rocky? I mean, I, I'm sure that people seeing Sylvester Stallone walking around in Philly would approach him like Rocky, not like Sylvester Stallone. And so, you, you know, and I just thought that that was really clever, but I also thought it was really funny that, um, at one point, uh, um, Donnie does uh, a Marlon Brando impression, um, you know, from The Godfather, and I thought that that moment was so funny because uh, Talia Shire, who plays uh, who plays Rocky's wife, um, Adrian, Adrian, is also in The Godfather. Um, as one as the youngest Corleone daughter and so are they the only Corleone daughter and so I was like okay what what version of the U.S. are we living in in which the godfather is not a real story but Rocky is and I don't know that that kind of I was like how does this how does this work like how do we how do we approach this kind of like what's real what's not what's film what's life what's you know, what cultural references do we collectively just know i mean we know the rocky story better than we know most other you know boxers or most other kind of uh, you know other cultural myths and stuff so yeah
0: i love that because i there are so many moments in this movie where the way that kugler blends what's real and what's not. I mean, talking about that, like that Rocky statue, I have a picture with that Rocky statue in Philly, standing at the top of the art museum, right? It's this feeling, but it's also when he cuts to pardon the interruption. (laughs) You get Mike Wilbon sitting there and the real, you know, PTI setup, And then you get the HBO really intense boxing prep when Conlon is first going to um, fight the guy from the LA gym, right? There are these moments that you get the real, feeling of how we interact with boxing or how we interact with sports. And there's a moment that I think is a great emotional, but also is one of those to a T when Donnie early on sits down and puts on the YouTube clip of the fight between his dad and Rocky. And it's just like, okay, this is a movie clip from a movie that we know that we would look up as a clip on YouTube. But now Donnie is watching it as a sports highlight on YouTube. From his reality. And it works seamlessly when you're watching it. But like when we pause and think about it this way, it's like, oh my God, he's just he's blending so much, and you get a headache thinking about, you know, <laughs> what's real, what's not. What's and then he us. physically stands up and puts himself silhouetted in that clip as
1: he's trying to box like his father in the shot. And it's just a lot going on.
2: And maybe this just shows the way that the world has changed since rocky um in that you can now you know go on to the web and watch videos of your opponent fighting and analyze how your opponent you know throws punches or whatever and that's you know that's obviously something that you couldn't do in the in the 70s and so it's kind of i i don't know i just thought that that was a really fun kind of added element of like and, and and you know and then and then Rocky, in in Creed like doesn't get it like he doesn't like understand this new world and there's there are all these kind of jokes about him being you know older out of touch that kind of thing and so it's I just I, I thought that all of that was was kind of a really fun way to update the, the the series.
1: And I love when Donnie goes to the restaurant first to see Rocky. He's got all those photos on the wall from different fights, and Donnie recognizes that's from the. 10th round of the fight or whatever it is and he recognizes all of the stills all of the frames every punch from just watching them and it's like that's how rocky has preserved all of these fights he has them up on the wall so he can watch them and remember them whereas donnie watches it on youtube or whatever and then obviously there's the the funny moment where rocky's writing out drills for donnie and hands him the piece of paper and then donnie just takes a photo of it and walks away and it's like it's in the cloud i've got it all
0: um, right Wait, don't you want this? I got it right here. What if you lose that there, it breaks?
1: It's already up in the cloud. What cloud? What cloud? It's so funny to see the generational differences and having passed through time with Sylvester Stallone. I mean, we've seen Rocky years before, you know? So it's like we see how much time has passed not only for us as viewers since the beginning of the Rocky franchise, but literally physically in this same man from 1976 until now, he's still living in this world and how much has changed.
0: I love that you bring up the cloud scene and the dynamic because, and maybe this is a transition to talk about performances because I feel like that joke and that dynamic works because Stallone, And Michael B. Jordan are so good together, and you know we've talked like you're saying we've seen Stallone as this character for decades. He's played this man. He's he's more synonymous with this role than anything else that he's ever done. And he's a supporting character in this movie, which is wild. But it doesn't. I don't know. It never felt to me like he's distracting or he's just there for some sort of like, oh, we have to have Rocky in the movie. That dynamic that develops between them from that first moment in the restaurant. Donnie comes in and Michael B. Jordan has this kind of, he's obviously really excited to meet Rocky, but he doesn't want to seem too excited. And he wants to be cool knowing the information about the fights, but Rocky's just kind of this really laid back older guy. And the way that they go back and forth, hey, like, it starts the ball on this beautiful relationship that is equal parts very humorous because they have this great banter that I forget how funny this movie is until I watch it with the way they go back and forth. Rocky, Stallone has some lines that are just great. And then they also have this very empathetic, it's not a father-son. I feel like there are moments of, Still- of Rocky standing in for Apollo as the father figure, but I feel more than anything, he does have, as Adonis calls him, he has this uncle kind of feeling. Um, And obviously when we get to the cancer storyline, all these moments, it has this intensity that they cover the full range of emotions. And I feel like that's the core of the movie is the two of them as a family drama that happens to also be about boxing and other things, but you get them and it starts from that restaurant scene.
1: It's interesting talking about the role of Rocky in the film, because you were saying, Devin, it doesn't feel like Rocky has to be in the film. They just have this great relationship. And I definitely feel like having Rocky in the film was like this great twist almost. So I went back and rewatched the trailer in preparation for this just to see how they marketed it. and most of the trailer, Rocky is not in it. And it's kind of this build up to this shot where they're talking around him and you don't see him. And then there's this shot where you see him in the face and it's like, oh my God, it's Rocky. Rocky's in this film. So I definitely feel like that's a way to draw people in. But I love the fact that, like you said, he, he doesn't become the focus of the film and he's there, but he's a side character. And I think that's such a testament to Michael B. Jordan's performance, because this is the first movie that Sylvester Stallone is not the main character and they're still putting sylvester stallone in the movie but michael b jordan comes ahead sylvester stallone in a rocky movie (laughs) and he pulls it off i think i mean they go so well together and it just works seamlessly i think they spent a lot of time together outside of filming training getting to know each other and i'm sure michael b jordan was good about learning this legacy and you know figuring out how this whole world works so it's just great to see the way that this legacy can be carried on through this great new actor.
2: I mean, just as a as a sequel, the way that Googler is able to pull that off by by still having Stallone in there, bringing him back as kind of this recurring role, but not giving it too much weight. And, and you know, he there are all of these references to the original film and to kind of the Rocky legacy, like we've been talking about, but it's never overdone. And I was just thinking about this, like compared to, to a lot of other sequels, uh, maybe most most dramatically in the, in the, the Star Wars sequels, um, where they just, you know, they bring back all of these, the the original actors from the original trilogy, and it just is terrible. Like, it, you know, it, 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 it fails because they kind of don't, they're not able to weave them into the new characters. And that's the thing we get—we don't get too much Stallone in this in this film. It is, like you're saying, it is a film about Michael B. Jordan. It is a film about Donnie, and Stallone is there very much as a supporting character, and he he supports him. It's you know he do, he does it flawlessly. He he does that part so well, but I, I think also as we were talking last week with Fruitvale Station, Michael B. Jordan is just so good in that in that kind of central role that everything else just he kind of like just sucks everybody in and and everything just kind of he he becomes the center of that universe the center of every scene
1: and i also love the fact that it really seems like everyone in the film treats rocky with a lot more reverence than the film itself does everyone who sees him is like he's a legend and creed's got rocky in his quarter they're more excited that rocky's back than that they are about creed and i love the fact that the film does not take that stance and even as viewers were more interested in what creed's doing we've seen rocky we've seen what six movies about rocky and it's great that he's here but look at what this new guy's doing and it seems like this sort of secret that everyone else in the movie doesn't know what's coming and they're just excited rocky's back out again but completely overlooking the fighter that he's training
0: yeah and maybe at least for me wrapping up some of my thoughts on Stallone so we can dig more into Jordan because there is so much more of him. I I think what what I always love about Stallone, because I think he is in a lot of ways underrated as a performer. I think he's made a lot of terrible movies, right? There's no defending many of the things he's made. Um, But at his best, and I think this is one of his best performances, he brings this physicality to the role If we're thinking about Rocky way back in 76, it's the shoulder rolls, it's the hands, it's this kind of the mumble that becomes the joke about Stallone, but he does have this kind of soft-spokenness. For me, one of the things I love about Rocky originally is the way it reconfigures how masculinity of a fighter can look. And here we have, again, it's 44 years later, and Rocky is old. Rocky doesn't want to fight. Rocky doesn't even want to get him back there and train, and so he has this quietness to him that is so different. I think shows such an incredible development of the performance. Um, I mean, Stallone has a line in that first scene with restaurant. He says, "You know, time got him. Ain't nobody ever better. So how'd you beat him? Time beat him. Time, you know, takes everybody out. It's undefeated." And I feel like that's the ethos of this character is he's struggling with Adrian's dead. There's the poignant moment when he sits in the graveyard and he talks to Polly and he talks to Adrian and you feel the weight of a different kind of legacy, which is being the one who's still alive. Apollo's dead, Mickey's dead. Everyone that Rocky has known is gone. And he struggles to match the hunger that he sees in Donnie because that's a version of Rocky that doesn't exist anymore. I think that push and pull between them creates such dramatic tension and, and beauty, you know, in the development of that relationship that as you're saying, I think as we're all saying the best version of a supporting character is to make the protagonist better. And every choice that Stallone makes as an actor, every choice Kugler makes as a director, every writing choice, it gives Stallone enough to do as Rocky to see, yeah, he's still this on his own character, but, he shines when he gets in the literal and metaphorical ring with Donnie to go back and forth with old, new, tired, energetic, hungry, tired. It's, it's the back and forth and they build each other up. And of course we get to the pinnacle of that when they're in the ring at the end and they have that very loaded exchange about what it means to be a creed and what they mean to each other but we build that. And Stallone is, I don't even know how I would put it. He is graceful enough to know that he can be effective and memorable without being the center. And I will always be angry that he lost the Oscar in 2016 to Mark Rylance for Bridge of Spies, which is a stuffy and overwrought performance. And Stallone is incredible. It's the one Oscar nomination Greed got, which is a travesty of its own right. But the fact that Stallone lost in a year when he should have cleaned up, I'm still angry.
1: On that note that I, I love what they do with Rocky because it makes him seem so much more human and like a real person. Like we talk about the fact that he's sort of this icon, there's a statue of him. He's not even a real person, but there is this myth surrounding him and obviously, as we've talked about, time has passed. 50 years has passed. It wouldn't make sense for them to bring Rocky back and be like, here's Rocky. He's still charging around the ring, fighting, training. It makes so much more sense for him to be, you know, feeling like life has passed him by. And he's like, my face is back there on the wall, like all these young guys. I'm a been My time has been. He has that line where he says, everything I got has moved on and I'm here. Just kind of waiting for death, almost waiting to be with Adrian and not really fighting in the way that we expect to see Rocky fight. Doesn't even want to fight cancer. He's ready to give up until Donnie encourages him. And so I love that complexity that you get beyond what we've seen and know of Rocky for the past, however many years, that now he gets to develop into this older, different character than what we're used to.
0: So obviously the centerpiece of this movie is Donnie and Michael B. Jordan who, I mean, we talked a lot about how incredible he was in last week's episode, but I think of all the performances I've seen Michael B. Jordan in, this is my favorite. And I think it's for everything we're talking about, right, is that if Stallone is the supporting character is giving us so much to work with, Michael B. Jordan brings so many different states, emotional moments, and I don't know, just, versions of his character, Donnie feels so incredibly fleshed out. I think that, which is about, for me, I think this understanding that Coogler and Michael B. Jordan seem to have, you know, after working together in Fruitvale Station, then when they get in here, Coogler knows to just let Jordan go sometimes. And to get him in these moments where we see him at his highest intensity in the ring, trash talking, throwing punches, trying to be this kind of swaggering fighter. But then he also has these incredibly quiet moments, you know, when he's trying to sing over Bianca's music. That's such a funny and sweet moment. We get his anger, you know, his fury when he is called Little Creed. It was cool? Now, who you talking to, me. You talking real tough, you feel me? I better talk to your little pretty boy
1: boyfriend, man. You get a VIP pass next to your pop talking to me like this.
0: You know, we get the entire emotional spectrum of this man and kugler is patient enough to let us see all of that and with a lesser actor you know i feel like it would it would feel long i mean it's not a short movie it's over two hours long but michael b jordan just like sinks in and brings it out you know he channels this really stormy internal state where you can see the pain he feels about being you know as he says to rocky a mistake he thinks he's a mistake and to bear that weight i can't even imagine what that would feel like and michael jordan sells it beautifully
1: yeah i am actually surprised to hear you say it's For over two hours, it doesn't feel that long because I just love watching it and every scene is better than the one before. And I feel like as I'm watching it, it's just like, oh, I love this scene. Oh, I love this scene. Oh, I love this scene for two and a half hours. Um, But yes, I love Michael B. Jordan. I think he's fantastic. Um, And not just because he's super fit in this movie, which is (laughs) also amazing. I love, like you're saying, Devin, just the way that he is able to convey all of these Different really strong emotions, but sort of slide in and amongst them really, really fluidly. And one of my favorite moments, probably the most obvious example of this, is when he's in jail and Rocky comes and tries to bail him out. And they kind of have a fight, and Rocky's telling him, You have to move out of your father's shadow. You're still caught in the shadow.
2: You gotta move, Donnie. Sleep, man.
1: Donnie is crying, but very angrily and like angrily brushing the tears away. And he looks really tense and you can tell he's going through something and grappling with his father's legacy, but he's trying to be angry. And then Rocky leaves and he kind of just explodes into these, you know, shadow punches where it's just all comes out in in violence, which is his way of expressing it. And as he's trying to work through it. And I respect also that he, even when we don't see his face, I think Michael B. Jordan is great. Like the scene that comes to mind when He goes to Bianca after having beat up the headliner of her show and she shuts the door on him and we see Bianca's face, which is in and of itself fantastic and we'll talk about Tessa Thompson's performance. But you can just hear Donnie on the other side of the door yelling, please don't shut me out. I need you right now. And there's so much emotion conveyed in that and his voice kind of breaks and he sounds so desperate, which is not a way that we've really heard him sound very often in this movie. And so I think he's really built such a, complicated character that you have to grapple with throughout the film. And he's sort of working through everything as he goes, but I think he just does a fantastic job.
0: I'm immediately struck. And I think of this every time I watch the movie and just hearing you talk about the scene where he's in jail and Rocky comes to see him. When I think about that scene and for me, how it connects to another very beloved scene in American cinema, that scene feels so... Related to the moment in *Goodwill Hunting* when Robin Williams, playing the therapist, stands up and looks at Matt Damon and says, "It's not your fault." Don't fuck with me. It's not your fault.
1: Hey, don't fuck with me, all right? Don't fuck with me, Sean. Not you. It's not your fault.
0: <laughs> <laughs> I think that that scene with Rocky and Donnie works in the same way. And that's because Michael B. Jordan is able to work through those emotions and exactly how you're saying, I think in the same way that Matt Damon does so beautifully in Good Will Hunting, right? And I think in that way we should be talking about Michael B. Jordan's performance in this movie, the way we talk about Matt Damon in Good Will Hunting as like this, oh man, this is a, Actor who is at the top of his generation and is bringing to the floor so much nuance and range, and the fact that we don't talk about it is just mind-boggling to me. And I mean, it's obviously because Michael Jordan is a black man and therefore not going to get as much attention by Hollywood and film criticism as Matt Damon. But when you settle into it, those two scenes are equivalent, and. I think even in that moment, Stallone is operating on the same level as Williams. I mean, it's this thing of two very different actors from different generations coming together with their own styles to just blow us away.
1: I love that you chose Goodwill Hunting because Matt Damon is the other love of my life, particularly young (laughs) Matt Damon in that movie. So good choice on your part. But I just wanted to add that, The other thing that connects those movies is the way they both sort of explode into violence, which is Michael B. Jordan does more explicitly, but Matt Damon does kind of shove Robin Williams away and say, you know, don't fuck with me. And he gets really angry. And so I don't know at what point, Devin, you want to dive into your rant about American masculinity, but the way that that's how showing emotion comes out. They're not, they're trying not to cry. They don't want to be crying. And so the default is punching in anger.
0: Jane, I'm going to take your American masculinity bait because it's obviously what I think about all the time. But especially watching this movie, I think that the idea of boxing in American culture and history, you know, there's such a rich history of boxing movies being used to explore masculinity. Obviously, probably most famously, Raging Bull feels like the thesis on how white masculinity interacts with boxing because what we see from Donnie is that he can be such a tender individual, especially in moments with Bianca, but also moments with Marianne, the way he interacts with Rocky, the way I think especially that the dynamic of Rocky not wanting to fight cancer and... Donnie recognizing, but it is empathy and love that's going to convince Rocky to have that fight, not a forceful you got to do this the way that he would maybe handle something else. But when Michael B. Jordan gets in the ring as Donnie, I mean, we're talking about his physique, we're talking about, that, but I think that the fact that he looks the way he does as this incredibly powerful and imposing figure who can also have this tender side, but that he doesn't know how to handle his emotions in terms of anger. He doesn't know how to process that. And we've been talking about for decades and decades and decades about the psychological impacts of what happens when we tell men, don't talk about your feelings, don't be open. And obviously Donnie is more in touch with many of his feelings, but he still struggles with that kind of fight or flight. He's the little kid who has to defend himself, he's in the group home. He just, you can see how built into him that violence was something that he was used to. And so that's how he expresses one part of himself. And I think that the progression through the movie of that violence being something that he learns to contain as he learns how to process his anger and his feelings of shame in a much more healthy way, you see that arc, right? It's, I think, what's interesting about this as a boxing movie is that while it's built upon him preparing for fights, the real thrust of the movie is his emotional development. It's not preparing for the big playoff game or the big final championship bout that you get in these movies often, especially in the Rocky movies. And the fact that for me, I think the emotionally cathartic moment of the film is when he's standing there, and I referenced this moment earlier, but when Rocky wants to call the fight at the end with Conlon, and he says he needs to fight, and it's not him saying he needs to fight because he wants to win. It has nothing to do with winning. It is because he wants to prove he's not a mistake.
1: He's going to sleep this time. He's going out this round. I should've stopped this no. one your I'm stopping this one now. Don't, okay, let me finish.
0: I gotta prove it. Prove what? I'm not a mistake. That is him having to admit to himself by saying out loud what he has been holding on to his entire life, because he hasn't wanted to talk about it. He hasn't wanted to say it. And for him, I think the fact that he says it in the ring is this moment of, okay, now that last round, that 12th round against Conlon, as Rocky says, you're boxing against yourself, <laughs> right? That's Rocky's line at the beginning with the shadow box and it's what he's saying when he's in the ring with Conlon and that whole idea of that this is a movie not about Donnie facing off against Conlon or facing off against Sperino. It's about Donnie facing off against his inability to accept that he is worthy as an individual and that the way to express that is best through these tender, healthy relationships that he does have with Bianca, that he does have with Rocky, he does have with Marianne, he just has to accept himself so he can accept that they love him. And he also happens to fight an incredible fight at the end as a result of having that emotional catharsis because this is also a blockbuster sports movie. Um, But I think in this line, right, it's a very intimate drama about the American psyche that's just masquerading as a big sports movie. That's my rant on American masculinity for this movie. Uh, I thank you for teeing it up. I needed to get all of that <laughs> off my chest.
2: Following off of what Devin was kind of saying, um, I think one of the the moments in Creed that really stands out to me uh, is is the the kind of intimate moment between Bianca and Donnie uh, when and I can't remember who who asks it first, but I, th- I think it's Bianca and she asks, "What are you afraid of?" And I mean, first of all, just like Bianca and 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 Donnie together, just the cutest couple ever, and everything about their like flirting and relationship is just perfect. But I think that that moment and the fact that they're able to kind of even talk about it um, shows it. A, a, shows an entirely different kind of side of, of the American masculinity, as Devon was saying. Um, and it reminded me of how in, in, in Rocky, Sylvester Stallone's character really is, is kind of a very soft-spoken man, as, as Devon was saying earlier. Um, but he's also a person who kind of uses all of these filler words. I don't
0: know. It fills gaps, I guess. Who wants gaps? I don't oh, know, gaps.
1: She's got gaps. I got gaps together. We're full
2: gaps. Huh? In these moments when he's walking with Adrian outside, he, you know, he, you, you see this desire for, for Rocky to kind of express himself, to get these things off of his chest, and he just literally doesn't have the words for it. Um, and I think that we, we get kind of two interesting kind of versions of that in Creed with the older Stallone not even wanting to talk about the fact that he has cancer we see him hiding the pamphlets that he gets from the the doctor and then not wanting to talk about it, but then Donnie like confronts him about it and and kind of opens up that conversation in a way that, that we never see between Rocky and Polly or, you know, any of these other kind of moments. And so there's this kind of, maybe, and maybe this is Kugler saying like, this is, we can change this. Like American masculinity is not constant. It can change. And we can kind of bring in this kind of new mode of communication outside of the ring.
1: The other thing I want to point out about the scene you're talking about, Nathan, is the fact that when he has that conversation about what they're afraid of with Bianca, is that they're sitting in bed and he's helping her do her hair, which is such an interesting... (laughs) Devin's excited. A wonderful thing to be doing. And I think that's also part of the public-private divide maybe where he's doing this thing that is not traditionally a very masculine thing in private but acts differently in public and tougher and granted it's farther along in the movie so maybe he's kind of you know developed and and coming to terms with that but I just love that scene it's so sweet and intimate and just it's just wonderful to
0: watch yeah in case anybody's wondering, that hair scene is the moment when I decided that no matter what happens in their personal lives, somehow we have to get Michael B. Jordan and Tessa Thompson together in real life, because I was just like, "This is what, this is what a beautiful relationship looks like," and just do it. Um, but what I was going to say also is that that moment, I think, is powerful for all the reasons you've mentioned, and also if we're thinking about kugler making directorial choices about highlighting american blackness in his movies just the fact that with tessa thompson's hair right there's so much conversation about how black women are forced to put their hair in certain ways to be quote unquote acceptable in white eyes and i think a big part of her character is this beautiful braiding that she has and you know, this is such a part of her look, it's such a part of her kind of presentation and that one, playing with hair is such an intimate thing to do regardless, but as they're sitting there together, they're having this really intense conversation. He is doing this very intimate thing and it's just allowed to be this Black couple sitting together having a really moving moment is also saying, look, this is something that you got to think about when you have your hair like this, and you need help to do this. And it's highlighting all of these things at once. And Tessa Thompson, you know, in the same way that we talked about last week, The Fruitvale Station, that that movie wouldn't work if people weren't on the same level that Michael B. Jordan was bringing. And we've talked about Salome, but if you want to talk about about someone who is on Michael B. Jordan's level in every moment, Tessa Thompson brings her A-game to every scene here. And she's also pulling multiple duty because she's acting and she's also singing. Interesting from the moment that we are introduced to her when, you know, Donnie comes down getting ready to be in a fight and yell at someone for playing their music too loud. And right, they have that wonderful, almost rom-com, neat, cute...
2: I'm Donnie. Yeah.
1: And I, I just moved in upstairs.
2: Okay. What do you want, Donnie? It's late.
1: I can hear your music.
2: Yeah, uh, I didn't know it was allowed.
1: Well, it is. Alright, I gotta wake up early and work out.
2: Oh. Oh, gotcha. You. you you gotta you gotta wake up early
1: and uh, and do your uh your drawings. Keep your body tight. Cool.
0: I will turn my music down. You won't hear beep. It is a version also of black American femininity that is celebrated for her. She has her career, she has her passion. And what she's doing is portrayed in this movie as being just as important as Donnie's boxing. And his career, we spend time talking, seeing her perform, talking about her musical career and her very real tragedy that she's losing her hearing. And I think that, you know, Kugler and everyone involved in the writing present this character as very fleshed out, but Thompson takes it and turns Bianca into an incredible and a comparable character to the legend that is Rocky, the legacy that is Creed, and she who has no connection to any part of the legacy of this franchise is just as memorable.
1: Well, I love especially that first meeting scene because I think she is just not as impressed with Michael B. Jordan as we might expect. Like, if I opened the drawer and Michael B. Jordan was standing there, I would just melt. And she is just completely unfazed, just stares at him, ready to fight. And I love his line where he's like, you know, I I gotta get up early to work out, which is not (laughs) not the right thing to say. That's his excuse. And she's like, oh, okay, you gotta get up, work on your body, all right. And just completely, you know, shrinks him down to his two inches tall. And He's obviously immediately infatuated, and then has to, you know, try to convince her. And she's she's tough. I mean, she takes her career really seriously, which I appreciate. And you know, takes a long time to kind of warm up to him, and doesn't just, you know, fall into his arms. You know, almost basically takes it all away from him after that um, scene at her show, and shuts the door and shuts him out, and is like, "I I can't. I don't want you in my life. You know, my work is more important." So I really appreciate that and I know that Tessa Thompson worked a lot with Kugler and trying to make Bianca a really integral character who was more than just any other female love interest in any movie ever (laughs) and you know trying to make her such a um, important character and she's around in Creed too I mean she sticks around she's very important to this whole story.
0: On the point of her not becoming so obsessed with him immediately uh, one of my I don't know, the, one of the scenes I think about the most when I think about the movie, I wouldn't necessarily classify it as my favorite or anything, but I think one of the most effective ones for me is when they go out on their first not date date. <laughs> um, one, it starts so well when you know she goes, is this how you ask a female out in LA? And she, again, just cuts them down. But then when they go to Max's, the cheesesteak place, um, but the moment that she walks in and they go in and she's talking to the guys behind the counter. She just, she feels so natural. And if we're talking about, if we give Jordan credit for being so natural, I think to say the same about Thompson, you, you have to recognize it because you immediately feel like, okay, she's lived here her whole life. She knows this place. She knows these guys. She comes here for cheesesteaks a lot. And then when they're sitting in the booth and they're talking and she's explaining what a John is. What's a John? It's a noun. Okay. It's like, a see,
1: these is John's, this is a John, this wow. restaurant was sitting in, this is a John, you were a John.
0: It's this very slow scene that, as you're saying, right, in a lot of traditional Hollywood, big blockbuster sports movies, we wouldn't get a scene like that. She would only get the, like, oh, you're going to ask me out on a date scene, and then we wouldn't get, like, the actual meat of what the date is. And so we get this moment where we see her as her individual humanity. We see him and his individual humanity and how they are interacting and how they are growing together. And it's just, it's beautifully shot with the red light and this kind of warmth to it, that the seeds they're planting there in the relationship grow out from that moment. And it's so much to do with, I think her ease in the location and her ease interacting with Jordan
2: I think that just as uh just as Creed kind of as we were saying looks at masculinity in a different way than Rocky does I think that it it does the same thing with femininity um through through Bianca and just contrasting her with Adrian's character in, in Rocky who is a shy uh kind of repressed woman who she's almost 30 and then there's and her brother kind of controls her life and there's this whole part in rocky about how she's what's the word polly uses polly says she's broken or something yeah yeah um and it's it's about her her virginity and in uh in creed that never comes up she kind of flips the switch and asks him how many females he's been with and I, and i just think that that's that's a really important thing because it's it's something that that going back and watching Rocky just feels very uncomfortable about it in a way that that you're like, okay, I mean the the Rocky Adrian love story is really beautiful, but it 's also kind of very very uncomfortable, but I think was also, also very necessary because it is a real a real thing. Um, but in this one, I mean bianca is is independent, she 's strong she doesn't, she doesn't really need Adonis there to, to he doesn't really add anything to her life the way that Rocky adds to Adrian's um but also we get this we get that scene of her as you were saying in the in the restaurant and it is completely unnecessary to the narrative of the film that we hear about her music and the fact that she's losing her hearing but it is such a perfect scene because it kind of parallels his own fears it's all about this this fear of loss about this fear of of losing something that you love and it it just works so well because they take the time to kind of allow her to to use that and tessa thompson is brilliant throughout that scene but just the kind of real almost real pain that that michael b jordan exhibits and kind of listening to her just makes it so touching i i've talked about this a little bit every time that we've we've talked about a film so far but i usually am critical of films that are too long i, I really like a shorter more pared down film and i think that this is Maybe the first film that we've seen that I didn't feel like there was anything that I would cut out of it. There, there were no scenes in it that I felt like were unnecessary. And yet it is, it is two hours and 15 minutes. It is a long film. But it, it, it worked for me on the same level as The Watermelon Woman or Fruitvale Station. in that kind of compact every moment counts.
1: And I love that because then it just makes it into this whole real world and everyone feels developed and you see how everything fits together. And I love that their relationship is more than just a female love interest. It's not about sex. It's not about passion. It's not just because she's beautiful, even though she is. Um, I mean, they, I think we see them have sex once. And even then I appreciate that there's no female nudity, no nudity at all. Really. Mm -hmm. It's just focused on her beautiful hair. She just seems so much more interested in what she calls the real you know there's that fight they kind of have in the street where he's like are you going to find a problem with everything i'm saying she says no i'm going to find the real in what you're saying their relationship is just honesty and she's like it's you know that's passion that's infatuation that fades i'm not i'm not looking for that you can find that anywhere but you want something that's real and honest and deep and i feel like we get to see that here in a way that we rarely if ever get to see in other films, especially when the two love interests are black.
0: Two things to agree with and expand on. First, Tessa Thompson in this movie is my ideal partner.
2: Jane, to your point,
0: I would just like to bring that up, but two, and the more important point of this, um, Nathan, what you had said about every moment counts. I totally agree with that. And to Jane, what you're saying about how the honesty of their relationship builds out, I think we are treated to so many small moments that aren't scenes. They're just moments within larger scenes. Like I think about after Donnie wins the Sperino fight and Bianca comes in the ring and she pushes him and then she realizes that she's pushed him too hard and it hurts him. And it's just, it's this split second moment but it says so much about, she gets so excited, she gets so into it, and then she's like, oh my God, I forgot. And you get that momentary slapstick mixed into it. And then when, I think also when she discovers looking online that he's a creed, and the way she goes from playful to just the death glare, right, It's that leads to that quote unquote fight you're talking about where she says that about I'm looking for the real I think that it's, you know, there's moments that we can't possibly see every moment they're sharing together. But for me, and maybe using this to marry together their performances and Coogler, I think the, for me, the single most beautiful shot in the movie is when Bianca and Donnie are laying on the floor in her apartment, and it's a medium close-up from their shoulders. Kugler just stays on them as they're laying there. And then Donnie turns and looks and kisses her. And then she turns, and then we see them kiss on screen for the first time. But it's this really kind of almost abstract framing where it's upside down and they're like flipped around on the screen if you're where you're watching it from. The point of view is off. But for me, that captures so perfectly what it's like, the, the nervousness of making that first really romantic move, right? We're getting that between them. Your world is a little off kilter. You don't know what's going to happen. And Kugler sets them up for so much success. One, because he probably sees the chemistry that they have and how well they are interacting with each other, but then knowing to say, I'm just going to leave the camera here. I'm just going to give you this very intimate shot. We're not going to cut. We're not going to move you're just going to see this play out and it is the realness of their relationship even then when it's new and they still don't really know what's happening you can feel it and that's their performances within Kugler captures it just like in Fruitvale Station Kugler captures the essence of a scene in his cinematography and the way he frames it, right, we get the intimacy in that moment, but we also get the sheer adrenaline rush of him shooting the Spirino fight as one take, where you're getting these emotions replicated in the way that it's shot. And that kind of synthesis between performance and style is the thing that elevates a movie, I think, from really good to great.
2: Transitioning to talk about the cinematography, I think that Creed is really a place where we kind of see Ryan Coogler's cinematography kind of at its fullest. And last week we talked about Fruitvale Station and, and some of the brilliant things that he did there. But this one really kind of just blew me out of the water and some of the some of the things that Coogler was doing with the camera were just amazing. Um and I and I think that going back to talking about a little bit about how how we watch boxing and how boxing is is different now. Some of this is kind of captured by the fact that we get these kind of online or digital kind of experiences of boxing with the YouTube videos, the HBO uh package, the him going back and rewatching old Creed and Rocky fights, all of those kind of moments. And then the way that he films the the actual boxing sequences is just so much faster, so much more attention to detail than than kind of I've ever seen in a boxing film before. Pugler, I think for for me, in in that kind of focusing on the detail, like we get in the, in the kind of the last fight where at, at one point all you see is just the the kind of bodily fluids coming off of off of the two fighters, and you see the bucket where where their blood is kind of flowing and the kind of snot and just sweat kind of pouring off of them. And I think that, the, that Kugler really stresses the physicality of the fights themselves and how much just damage is being done to the, to the fighters' bodies. And we get these moments of, of kind of looking at fighting from a whole new standpoint. And I think that he, he does that brilliantly.
1: Well, I think the standpoint is just understanding how violent and painful it is. So a lot of boxing movies that we get, we're sitting outside the ring or somewhat distant from the fighters, we get maybe a couple of close-ups. So in that fight with Spirino, I love because it's sort of the first real fight that we get with Donnie that's not, you know, in Mexico. It's a a real fight. He's got a real trainer. But Michael B. Jordan doesn't have a body double. So all of this that's happening, minutes long, the choreography and the dancing almost of the movement that has to happen between these two actors and the camera is just astounding and even how they managed to pull it off. I'm amazed. And those hits look really real, I think.
0: Just on hits that are really real, there's a tradition in Rocky movies that everyone takes a real punch. The punch that Michael B. Jordan took is the one in the Conlon fight where he gets knocked out. The shot we see in the film is him being knocked out by the real boxer that plays Ricky Conlon which is not important to talk about that fight but i was looking for a moment to mention how crazy it is that
2: wait the the moment when he actually falls he yeah. like, and it's in slow mo yeah, yeah. that was real that was real god
1: damn that's insane i was wondering about that cuz i was like how did he make his body so limp and just like flop like it's not like he hits the ground like he bounces yeah he's yeah he's out for the count clearly he was done.
0: so anyway back to your anyway, much more um, important point
1: and it just puts us in the ring and we see obviously the very visceral impact that they're having. And you know, Nathan, you're talking about how boxing has changed. People know obviously about the damages of CTE from football. And I'm really surprised that it's not become more of a thing in the boxing world. This movie is not, I don't think glorifying the violence. We don't want to be doing this. It's such a fight in the actual sense of the term with the stark lighting on them in the ring, it's light inside the ring and dark outside. It's us in this ring. There's nobody else around to save us. And the blood is spattering and grunting and just the grimaces that the actors make, you can really see the pain that's being inflicted there. And I guess I've kind of gone off the cinematography bent, but those fight scenes are just so visceral. And I found myself at the end of every one of them tensed up and partially because that's, that's because I like boxing, but also just because of how those scenes get to you.
2: On that note, I think, I mean, I was thinking about this and I was thinking that Rocky made me want to be a boxer. Watching Rocky, I was like, I want to be a boxer. Creed made me want to be a filmmaker. It, I don't know what about it, but it was kind of like this, there was something else about it that, that kind of really just took the, took the fights to a different level. And maybe made them less real or something, but it, it maybe more real. But it, it kind of it just like it it drew me into the position of the camera much much more so than than the position of of the spectators or something.
0: If I'm picking one word to describe Coogler as a director, especially in this film, I would pick intimate because. I think that that word works on the two levels. I think the intimacy of the relationships is this beautiful intimacy, but also we know all the intimate details of what it is like to be in the ring, taking a punch and delivering a punch for all of these reasons that we're talking about. I think that Kugler has a way of transporting you as a viewer into the emotion and physicality of a scene, which is a rare gift. When I think about especially movies like this that are boxing movies or just sports movies in general, I feel like often you either get the physicality with the trade-off of the emotion or you get the emotion with the trade-off of the physicality. But for something like the Conlon fight, which you know, he could easily have just kind of set the camera back and said, okay, this is the big fight. We can just let this happen. We get those more expressionistic moments of the fluids that we were talking about. We get shots below, behind, over the shoulder. The editing is fast. The kind of feeling of tension that's building up to the now three times mentioned, I need to prove I'm not a mistake. We get that emotion and Right, I think one of the most traditional things that Coogler does in the whole movie is the montage when Donnie hits the ground after taking that punch. But for me, I think one of the things that makes it work so well is that it is traditional, but it does not feel cliched in his hands because he has threaded this needle of these are the things that he would be facing down. And so when we have... Each of those moments playing out, we see his past. And then to end on Apollo with also the brilliance of hitting the musical cue as he shoots up, he builds that emotion. And then we're in a whole different register of this fight. I could not agree, Nathan, more with the fact that watching something like that makes you want to go out and grab a camera and be like, let's, I don't know. I can't do that, but I can do something.
1: And I love that montage because it's, Not his mom. It's not Bianca. Like who actually gets him up is his dad, who he's never even met. And it's just this beautiful full circle moment of him coming to terms with this legacy. He is a creed. He's accepted that name and now fully realizes it and is proud to have that name and is no longer, I don't think, fighting with this idea that he's a mistake or his dad left him on purpose. So it's sort of this moment of clarity amidst him getting the shit kicked out of him.
2: Devon, you brought up the, the montage at the end, but I think that there, there are a number of montage sequences throughout the film, and Kugler nails them all, um, especially the the training montage uh, kind of in the middle. And I mean, this is something that we got from, from Rocky, and I think that Rocky training montage is, is one of the most famous sequences of all time with him running through the streets of Philly. And Kugler actually, you know, he uses the same street. We have the same, uh, the same like outside market burning trash barrel, you know, the, the people kind of chasing him. Um, but Kugler kind of, you know, takes that, does, and again, paying, paying homage to the original film, but also kind of remaking it, remaking it with a specific focus on the, the kind of the, the black experience of Philly. And so you have the, the motorcycle or the ATV riders kind of chasing Donnie as he's, as he's running through the streets um, and those moments just kind of you know it it, it really i don 't know he just he really takes takes kind of the original idea and expands it um, into something that that's that 's very meaningful and we get this at other points too with the 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 black kids watching the fight and watching him from the sidelines. Another montage part that I think is is done really well is the is the training sequence in the hospital for one it 's just a really funny scene with him. Uh, you, you know, using the the stairs of the hospital, he almost punches a nurse. Um, and then there's the moment when 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 Rocky is kind of like, you know, I, I didn't want to tell you this, but uh, I used to do push-ups one handed. And so you you have you know just this kind of like really funny kind of play. And that and I think that's when when Stallone and, and Jordan are kind of at their best together, are in these kind of moments of like you know, paying, paying tribute, but also like showing this kind of new side of, of fighting and of the experience of being a boxer.
0: Digging into those montages, I agree with everything you're saying. And I think that for me, kind of the thing that makes it an A+, plus, <laughs> because I'm a teacher, so I got to give grade at some point. The way that they transport that even further, I think, is the music in this film because in that montage, you're talking about Rocky running through the streets. One of the most iconic parts of it is the Rocky theme. And Ludwig who is the composer working in this movie, is a friend of Kugler's from film school who's worked, he worked on Fruitvale Station, but music isn't, you know, as large a part of Fruitvale Station, but Goranson also does the music for Black Panther, which I'm sure we will return to. But the theme that he composes for Creed is this modulation and variation on the original Rocky theme. It has some of the same intervals it has some of the same rhythms but it does sound entirely different and that if the original Rocky theme is this big brass kind of very classical hoorah sound this one shares more in common with the music that Bianca is singing right it has this slightly more electronic vibe to it but it still captures that intensity and he's using it in these montages in the same way the original rocky theme does that but they hold on to it and they build it into its own you know thematic suite of versions on the creed theme that for me become just as iconic as the rocky one by the end so that when the rocky theme comes in the final round of the conland fight it's a nice moment of nostalgia but it doesn't feel Like, you're like, oh, now we're hearing good music. You've been hearing incredible film score the entire time. And that just seems like an extra little, like, we know what you want to hear, but you're not getting it the whole time because it's also about Creed. And so it goes from the Rocky theme back to the Creed theme. And it just, I think, showing the depth of talent in the team making this movie that to everything you're saying, Nathan, about why the montages work, Garanson's score just kicks it into that iconic status that accomplishes everything Rocky does and just does it its own way unapologetically.
2: Yeah, so I think in these moments when, when we see kind of a, another side of Philadelphia, this also kind of parallels another side of America maybe where we, where we kind of have this more explicit focus in Creed on, uh, on Black characters, on Black Americans and so I think that race is, is obviously a very important part of this film. And it would have been, a, it, it would have been an entirely different film if, uh, if, if this one had also focused on a, on a white boxer. And the fact that, that Kugler directs and the fact that Michael B. Jordan stars and that most of the, the cast is black. Um, and that we just have so many other black kind of supporting characters, side characters, kids in the streets, um, other boxers in the gym. Um, all of these kind of elements kind of uh just i don 't know kind of ask us to consider what the role of race is in a boxing film and maybe even reevaluate the original rocky
1: yeah, and going off of that, I love how it just sort of it just sort of subverts what we 're taught to expect out of black characters in a film, so yes. Creed is violent and fights a lot when he's a kid, but we get to see the complexity and the development of why that is and watch him work through it and grapple with his masculinity as a Black American man. And he's a hero. He's the protagonist of the film. He's Rocky. He's not Rocky, but you know what I mean? Like he's the Rocky character. He's built above Sylvester Stallone again in a Rocky movie. And even his whole relationship with Bianca is so beautiful and sweet and well-developed and they're in love and they end together. It doesn't end with one of them dead or in jail or any of these other horrible stereotypes that we might have come to expect. It just ends with them being happy and together and victorious. And it's such a wonderful way to end the film, I think.
0: And if we place this in terms of this arc, the way we're thinking about it as the development of the Kugler filmography, I think that that spirit is directly carried over from Fruitvale Station. Everything about Oscar Grant as this protagonist who is associated with his death. That's how he's known by the American public to then get Fruitvale Station this movie about how complex he is. And we talked about, you know, his tenderness and his thoughtfulness and how complicated he is. And Michael B. Jordan returns to another black figure who has that same complexity and kugler just as we're saying again and again with more time with more money with more support to make a bigger film that still hits those same core issues I, i think so much conversation is about what happens when indie directors are tapped to make major blockbusters and how so often what we love about those indie projects gets lost in the transition, that when somebody like Coogler says, okay, my focus is obviously looking at the Black American experience and highlighting it as so much more than the bundle of cliches that we are used to seeing, that the lineage between Fruitvale Station and Creed and then on the Black Panther which we'll get to next time, is so clear. <laughs> I think that he he's really just saying, this is to use Bianca's words, this is the real. These are the figures and the characteristics that make up complex characters. And for you know, not the first time ever on film, but f- in this era of the first time when it's being really allowed, black characters get to be that complex figure. It's not Hattie McDaniel being forced to play a Mammy stereotype for decades because that's the only black character that would be allowed in Hollywood. We're getting the evolution of filmmaking. And this is what happens when black voices are allowed to make art. If if you're wondering what the importance of that is, people are going, well, why does it matter who directs a movie? Because this is what happens. (laughs) When you give a brilliant Black artist the ability to tell the story they want to tell with all the resources and time to do that, you get a masterpiece, which is what Creed is. It's just unequivocally a masterpiece that once again shows how the Academy of Arts and Sciences doesn't know how to reward film because this movie got no recognition when mediocre historical movies about white protagonists got all of the awards. And, you know, while the Academy rant is something I will not go into because there's plenty of content on Portland Film Review about that, this movie exists in such perfection that fuck the Academy we can all recognize how important it is. And I think it has gone on to show the importance of Michael B. Jordan and Ryan Coogler because that led directly to Black Panther. And if it took an extra movie for them to get the real global recognition they deserved, so be it because now they have it.
2: Yeah, Devin, I, mean, I, I think you're absolutely right that Creed deserves a lot more recognition than it got. Um... And because it is, it is just such a beautiful film, and, and in many ways a, a perfect film. I really only have one complaint, and that's the, uh, that's kind of the final battle, the the final fight between uh, Donnie and, and Conlon, which I felt like worked for the most part, but it just wasn't as dramatic as I felt like it could be. Um, I think if, if the rest of the film was a, was a 10 out of 10, that kind of brought me down to a nine or an eight out of 10. So it's still, you know really good. Ending to it, I think what happens after the fight is much more interesting than than kind of during that actual um, that fight, and especially the the end of the fight. Narratively, I didn't feel like it quite pulled it off, um, and for me, that's really just because I think they did the exact same thing that that Rocky did with the kind of arc of of uh, the the kind of arc of of Donnie uh, taking on a a much better fighter and lasting the entire fight, but not winning it, and by losing by a split decision, that kind of just felt a little too too similar to Rocky.
0: I understand, a lot in a lot of ways, the struggle with that final fight. And I will say the first time I saw the movie, I think I felt more in line with that kind of feeling of letdown especially after the Sperino fight being this kind of tour de force moment of filmmaking. Um, but in watching it more, and I don't know if this is because this is how Kugler intended. I don't know if this is just me reading into it, but kind of the way that I have settled on it in my head is that Conlon to me feels like a paper tiger in the sense that, you know, we've talked about Rocky's line, you're always fighting yourself. And to me, what strikes me is that if Conlon is a more complex villain, it takes away for me from the fact that it is Donnie facing down himself. Conlon, because he's kind of empty, is just this figure for Donnie to project his internalized issues onto. Um, Whereas in the original, I think that Apollo is so much more complex because while Rocky has his issues to project, it's about the focus of that movie is different. Um, and I think that in the, because of this intimate look into Donnie's mind that we're getting that fight is so much more about him coming to terms with himself. And I do think that then that gets trapped in some of the trappings of this is a Rocky movie, this is a boxing movie, we need to hit some sort of check. We need to check the boxes. Um, And so I do think it does in some way suffer from that. Okay. We need the big fight to happen, but I find it less of a letdown and more of a, okay, I know where we are. A kind of sense of orientation, but the way that he uses it is to me feels incredibly different, but I can absolutely see the criticism of it.
1: I actually, had never felt disappointed by the ending and i think it's because of what you're saying Devin. just the idea that it's donnie fighting donnie really and there has to be a big fight and there has to be an opponent because that's how boxing movies work but like Devin talked about earlier when rocky's talking about how he's going to call off the fight donnie says no because he has to prove he's not a mistake again it's not because he wants to win and defeat that guy i mean they use the language of you know go and kick his ass or whatever they say but he he doesn't really seem, he as an opponent is not any match for the actual demons that Donnie is wrestling with internally. And so that seems to me, maybe it's cliche, but like that's the real victory that we're getting here is proving that he's not a mistake and he owns this name and he belongs here. He's earned this right and he's worked hard and he's made it. And it's also just a nice, you know connection to the lineage as we're talking about lineage yes it is the same ending and i know they did film two endings to the film there was some discussion of having do we have donnie win or you know there's only two ways the fight can go really um but i guess it it's just never bothered me because it felt like such a personal culmination and the boxing ring is just the setting that it takes place but for me the real victory personally is that moment when donnie gets up in that flashback after he's knocked out cold after seeing his dad and having that kind of, you know, electric shock moment where he jumps up. And that seems to me like a really important moment of personal growth and realization, even more so than if he had knocked out Conlon, which would have been great for cinematic purposes, but not necessarily what we're looking for in Donnie as a character.
2: I think that makes sense. I think I'm, I'm just kind of hung up on, and may, and this may just be because I watched Rocky and then mm-hmm. watched Creed kind of immediately after, and I just felt like I, I would have been a little bit happier if they had done something even marginally different than than the original Rocky. But I think that part of the part of the problem is just that the, the ending to Rocky is is just so perfect. Like it, it kind of there is no better way to end that, and so there really isn't a better way to end Creed either. But I think that that aside. It's, it's really what happens after the fight that, that kind of has that kind of emotional impact for me. It's kind of the Bianca and Donnie kind of relationship and then also the Donnie and, and Rocky relationship kind of at the end that really make up for that for me.
1: And just to add quickly, even more immediately after the fight, I love the scene when the television reporter is interviewing Donnie, which um, is when he's asking him About his dad, and what would you say to your dad if he were here right now? Which seems like a pretty simple question. I'm sure reporters ask that sort of thing all the time and you know, just say, Oh, I love him and I miss him and he's proud of me. But it's really a moment for Donnie and it takes him a second. And you can see him, he's just been, you know, granted his head has been punched many, many times, but he's actually thinking about it. What would I say? Here I am in the ring if my dad were here right now. And he says, I love him. And I know he didn't leave me on purpose, which is a big thing that he's been dealing with throughout the whole movie. And that I'm proud to be a creed. And I think that answer would have been very different if that question had been asked earlier in the film. And so that's the other thing that I love about that ending. Again, it's just that personal growth that has happened and how he now relates to his dad and his place in this family.
0: The winner of this podcast on Split Decision is you, our dear listeners, because if you're still tuned in, you have made it through the metaphorical 12 rounds of PFR Weekly. This was our longest episode so far, and I think it fully reflects the total passion that Jane and I have for Creed and what Nathan discovered along the way. If you really like this episode, you're in luck, because we have one last episode on Ryan Coogler coming next week. This one about his international smash hit and generation-defining piece of pop culture, Black Panther. I imagine all three of us will have just as much to say about that movie, so cuddle up for another long one. As always, make sure to let us know if you agree or disagree with our thoughts by sending a message or a comment. Either way, make sure to follow us on Instagram at Portland underscore film underscore review, Facebook at Portland Film Review, and rate and review us wherever you're listening to this show. Plus, if you want to suggest a movie or get in touch about anything to do with PFR, shoot us an email at pfrweekly at gmail.com. Today's episode was edited by yours truly, Devin McGrath-Conwell, and produced by Jane Vaughn, Nathan Maudlin, and myself. Audio clips from the motion pictures Rocky, Rocky IV, and Creed are included in this podcast under fair use laws. Thanks for listening, and happy watching.